welcome to Mothers with Sons. It's a podcast for moms parenting young men. I'm Dennis Boyd, your host. Welcome to a new episode. Welcome to this new episode of Mothers with Sons. How a mother's honesty shapes her son's future. (laughs) How a mother's honesty shapes her son's future. And for this episode, we have William Murray. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we just want to welcome Will. Will, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Appreciate it. Thank you, D, for having me here, man. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah. So what we want to jump into is I know moms, they hear this title and, you know, how a mother's honesty shapes her son's future. Give us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, you sure, know, you sure. cuz clearly you were born. Yeah, exactly. You know, you came through your mother. Yeah, 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 I was uh, formed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um but yeah, give us a bit about your background, who you are, where you are, yeah. so that moms understand who they're talking to. So yeah. the goal is for mothers to understand and see from a different perspective mm-hmm. the impact that the decisions that they make with their sons yeah. during those formative adolescent years, mm-hmm. the things that happen as we become men and we look back and there are some things that, you know, mom's done phenomenally. And we're like, yes. Yeah. And then there's some things that we're looking back and we're like, hmm, she had tweaked this a little bit. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, what I yeah. want us to be able to walk away with and the listening audience to get from this mm-hmm. is to be able to glean and take from your story and your narrative mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and be able to say, you know what? Let me try this with my son yeah. versus that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were born happily into this world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Goo goo gaga. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I was um, born September 1980 uh, in Manhattan. I was born and raised in Manhattan in the Upper East Side border of uh, Upper East Side and East Harlem. Uh, my parents were married. Uh, they have been married about... Uh, Let's see, they got married September of 79, and I came September of 80. So, you know. Busy. All, yeah, exactly. All good things happen to those who act fast. <laughs> uh, or make mistakes, either way. Uh, um, but I came, I was my mother's uh, only child. That was my father's uh, only boy. He had uh, three, I have three older sisters from uh, his previous marriage. And... Uh, you know, my relationship with my parents was very interesting, uh, very close to my father, and uh, not so close with my mom. And that's going to be important to my story as we, we we proceed. Loved her as she loved me, but you know, I was my father's kid as far as I was concerned. And that went well until May 17, 1992. My biological father was killed, and that was a devastating blow. Prior to him uh, being killed, my parents were separated. They didn't have the best of marriages. You know, nothing. I never saw violence or anything like that. Just, you know, you know, normal, just didn't get along, sep- you know, together, separated together, and then separated again. Or, or maybe I have that little, maybe one more extra separated or together there than it should be, but you get the point for those who are listening. And my, at the time, my dad was living in another apartment in Queens. I was still in our apartment in Manhattan. And that was a big blow to me because my dad was my best friend. Uh, and that's when my mother and I's relationship started to change. And it became a relationship based on honesty and accountability. And those two words are the pillars that keep my mom and I's relationship thriving, flourishing, and um, 
open right now to this day. I'm 39 years old, uh, and I'm married. I have a son, three-year-old son. Um, I have a second father. My mom got married again, and I consider that man to be my father. So I have two fathers. And, uh, you know, so at that most traumatic moment, my mother showed her colors. Now, let me describe my mom a little bit. My mom came from a nuclear family. She's the oldest of three. Uh, father and mother, she's very close with her father. And she's close with her mother, but I mean, I, I would say she was her father's favorite. Uh, and um, very quaint little farm town out in Long Island where the wineries are now. The wineries weren't back there back then in the 40s, but or might have been. In, but not the, the bubbling industry it is now where you have limos and people going out for bachelorette parties and other sorted events during the summer. Very conservative Christian home. Uh, my grandfather was somewhat entrepreneurial but he also worked a lot and very insular home where they had a lot of love. My mom didn't have any traumas as a kid. All she had was love and discipline, which might have been the source of some of her traumas. Black folks back in the day didn't play. Uh, um, so that, that underscored how she raised me. That helped and informed how she raised me. And so let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, let's go back to the event May 17th, 1992. We find out, I think May 20th, what happens to my father. He was missing for a couple of days. And we have the funeral, things move on, and the first thing my mother sits down and tells me is like, look, it's me and you now. Your father's no longer here. I know you were very close with him. If we're to have a relationship, we have to tell each other everything. We can't hide secrets. I'm going to be honest with you. And I need you to be honest with me. And in, that is the only way that we're going to make it out of this funk together. And I remember that conversation. And she holds true to her word. She was very honest with me. And I was honest with her. And we were very accountable to each other. And from there, you know, she's always revealed more and more of her heart, her past, her mistakes. Uh, and, and in doing that, she's also held me accountable. So for those, you know, uh, to give you a sense of what my relationship is, I'm not a mama's boy. My mom and I don't have that very, oh, I love you relationship where you see you all up under your mother. You know, uh, you, some, you, you see some men very much under their mothers. They doing for their mothers. They driving their mothers in cars to their appointments. My mom and I don't have that relationship. Uh, I would do that if I had to, but that's not my natural inclination. Uh, she has kept our relationship very honest and also... She's been more interested in me raising me to be a man than necessarily raising me to be her son. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, point? Sure. what's the distinction between the two? Sure. So, and this, you know, for me, being a son is this is my I own I own this person, or even a step further, let's go, go away from that that ownership is I gave birth to this person. This person is a part of who I am. You know, some you know some people say this is my heart with legs and arms. And while she cares about me very dearly, she was very adamant about raising me to be someone like her father. My mom deeply admired her father. And my grandfather was very admirable. Um, even around the town in Jim Crow, Long Island, white folks respected him. Black folks, obviously, he was a pillar in the black community. So she was very much concerned about me becoming a man as opposed to being her son, meaning there are certain things that I need to see you doing and you need to be doing in order for you to function well in this planet. And one of them was being independent. So since I was young, she always told me I was going to go away to college. She's like, you're not going to stay here with me. 
you're going to go away. You need to go away. You need to have your own experiences and you need to function on your own. Uh, another thing she was always adamant about is in my relationships with some of my girlfriends, even with my wife, she's hands off. So she doesn't get involved in my relationships, with, my relationship with my wife. Relationships. You know I'm in trouble now, right? Oh, wait a minute. No, no. With my relationship with my wife. Uh, she doesn't get involved. She doesn't tell my wife what to do. She doesn't tell me what to do. She's very much about, you know, you have a relationship with the Lord. And my mom's very religious, uh, Christian. And you need to be praying. There's certain things you need to be doing to sustain your own household. You don't need me to sustain it for you. Uh, and she's held on to that from the beginning. And if something does go wrong in my marriage, she's going to look at me first. So she doesn't immediately automatically blame my wife. She'll say, well, what, what were you doing wrong? You know, when I was growing up and there was an issue with the teacher, she'd go to me, what were you doing wrong? What did you do? So there was always this accountability there about what are you doing, you know, your actions are under your control, what did you do? What could you have done better? What, where did you miss the mark? Where do you need to improve? And those two things um, have been you know, the bedrock of our relationship and how she loved me. So like I said, for her, it was about becoming, uh, she wanted to see me as a man. So she loved me, but it wasn't this smothering love that you see sometimes where uh, some relationships with mothers, they're doing everything for their son. Here's more money. Here's more this. Here's more that. And my mom has definitely done for me. But she, I believe she's done with me because she's seen me also do some things that matter to her, that she needed to see out of me. I think at the end of the day, when my mom closes her eyes for the final time, she wants to know that I've, I'm a good man, that I'm a moral, in her opinion, Christian man, and that I'm doing the things to take care of my family the way she saw her father take care of her family. It wasn't, it's not about me being a proxy for, you know, a lover or, or, or wanting to me to be this kind of all up under her kind of smothering mama's boy relationship. I think actually that would probably disgust her <laughs> on some level, you know. And my mom's not a bold personality. She's not like, you know, you know um, this bold, you know, quick-witted person. She just is very, she's introverted to some extent into herself. But when it came to raising me, she just knew what she wanted. She told me when I was born, she held me in her hands and she said a prayer to God. Almost like similar to Hannah and Samuel for those who don't know that story is just, you know, Hannah was someone in the Bible, in the book of Samuel, who couldn't have a child. And when she received Samuel, she gave Samuel back to God. And that's what was for my mother. She would, you know, she had me at 36. Uh, I got mentioned, my parents got married in September 1979 and they had known each other, I think, almost a year before that. So it was very quick. She always tells me, I didn't think I was going to have a child. I didn't, you know, I thought my time had passed, you know, and, you know, especially in the 70s, leading into the 80s, or she was close to the 80s at that point in 78, that, you know, that wasn't going to happen. So when she, when, when, when I was born, uh, she wanted to make sure that, you know, that, that I was following God's path. So you bring me to a few questions. Yeah. So the first one is we talk, I, I listened to you talk about the accountability piece. Mm. So. In instances where you had to be held accountable, where the questions are, what role did you play mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in helping you, you know, be, become introspective and mm -hmm, evaluate mm -hmm. your own behaviors, did you feel supported, mm -hmm. although you were being held accountable? No. <laughs> I didn't feel supported at the time. In hindsight, I'm grateful for it. So I'll give you an example. I had a friend who would 
get into things with teachers and say things about teachers. And his mom would come down and get on the teachers. And she wasn't, you know, verbose or, 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 or super intense, but her position was like, my son was right. My mom would, if my mom ever had to come to school, it was, what did he do wrong? What needs to be corrected? Now, that being said, you know, with my, this friend that I'm talking about, I mean, he, he was a lot, he told a lot of lies. And, you know, so his mom was always in this position of believing him, even though he was juicing her. <laughs> you know, he was squeezing. I'm not saying some of it wasn't legitimate, but a lot of times, yo, he he had his own issues, this kid. Whereas with me, I'm like, yo, I'm sitting here being honest, like, yo, I just, you know, and I think for my mom's thing was like, is this something you don't like somebody or are they doing something to you? I think looking back now, if she was here, I think for her, it was like, if you don't like them, then that's 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 just like tough luck like I don't I'm not taking time off work to do yo and you have to learn how to deal with that in life right you don't like somebody you can quit you can quit your job because you have an enemy quote unquote at work yo you're gonna go to go to work you know you're gonna walk away from your dreams and successes because there's a villain every story has a villain you're gonna have to push through um and so for me that's where you know looking back, I didn't feel supported. I was like, oh man, look at this kid's mommy. Look what he's doing. Now as a man, I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, thank, thank God I had a mom who held me accountable and, and taught me in her own way. Now, again, this wasn't like direct, you know, you know, reading a story every night and saying, you have to be accountable. You have to be accountable. Whispering in my ear as I fall asleep. It was, you know, her actions and the, way, and the dynamic she established between the both of us that as I've matured as a man, has given me the understanding of what accountability looks like and what is looking inward first look like before I look outward and judge others or bring others into my mess or into into my circle of judgment. So looking at that mm -hmm. and hearing that, it leads me to ask you this. So you didn't feel supported, mm -hmm. but in hindsight, you're just like, wow, I'm glad she didn't come swoop in and help yeah, yeah, and rescue yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that, as a younger man, hmm. navigating those school scenarios? Because I think it's important for us to know what kind of schools you went to. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I, went to, I was in private schools, you know what I mean? So this is 1980s New York. I'm not living in Brownsville. I'm not living in Crown Heights or Bed-Stuy or Harlem. Uh, for those who don't know, 1980s New York, crack is ravaging New York City, all over New York City. I would say even the effects are being felt in places that historically have not been included in, 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 in that if those effects. Bensonhurst, uh, New York, I mean, um, Manhattan, oh, everywhere. I mean, you know, it, it was 1980s New York, you get on the subway, you get your chain snatched. Uh, you get your book bags taken. You know, in certain neighborhoods, you walk home in your socks, so they took your sneakers off. Uh, and some cats, you know, they come to you and take your sneakers off. Some cats wouldn't, and they take the beat down. They just weren't going to go out like that. Others would give it up. Either way, I'm not judging either way because it was just a horrible time in New York City's history. Uh, and it was a difficult time for everybody, especially for children in some of the areas I mentioned by name, Brownsville, Harlem, stuff like that. So I, I, I think that, you know, I was in Catholic school. My mom wanted me to get a good education and to be shielded from some of that. So she sacrificed a lot. And she also wanted me to have religious instruction. That was a big thing for her. You know, she didn't want me to go to public school. She felt like she continually, going back to that Hannah Sandal story, she wanted to make sure that God was going to be in my life. And if she could only get it on Sundays through the Baptist church we were attending in, the, in, in Harlem, that's fine. But then she was going to supplement it with this Catholic school education. And, uh, you know, that, that made it difficult at times to exist as a, a young man in the 80s. 
with you know burgeoning and growing hip hop culture and my own sense of wanting to fit in and, and connect with others. I mean, my mom was the kind of person where you know if someone had to be party McDonald's on a Sunday. You still had to go to church first, and then you show up at the McDonald's like in your church clothes, and everyone else got jeans on and a shirt, but you look like a jerk because you got like a, a little sports coat on and like penny loafers. But she didn't care. You go into church and you go into that McDonald's party and them penny loafers. After a while, you're like, I ain't going to no party on Sunday, man. This is stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I ain't going. I ain't going, man. I, mean, I think I went to one party like that. Uh, and I was just like, you know, everyone's looking at you like, yo, why are you dressed up like that? You're going to, you know. And, you know, no one thinks you. This is before Kanye introduced, you know, sports jackets <laughs> in, 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 into the you know, hip-hop fashion world. You probably look like the Hamburglar's attorney. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Grimace's uh, uh, well-dressed cousin. But the reason why I asked that question is because I'm wondering what the um, composition of your schools were. Yeah, sure. Uh, it was working class people, uh, majority white, uh, if I were to be honest, ethnically white, like Italian and Irish. Uh, there was a Latino and then there was black. And so that was but majority white, and then there was a nice, strong contingent of, I think it was some people from Malta there uh, who parents originally immigrated, um, and, but mainly it was black and Latino, so that was the cool part of it. I still had a very diverse environment I was growing up in, and most of the families were Catholic. If, if Catholic, not religiously, at least Catholic in culture, you're gonna get your confirmation, you're, you're gonna do your first communion, you know. Okay. So, which brings me to asking you and understanding mm -hmm. religion mm -hmm. to, in two aspects. Number one, how it's influenced your life. Mm -hmm. But number two, as a man with a woman being the primary influence in your life spiritually, how mm -hmm. has that affected how you, you know, subscribe or practice? Uh, so religion, religion has been the backbone of everything I've done, even to this day. Uh, there was a, a time in my life I ran from it because, again, you know, you the dude with the sports coat and the McDonald's, you know, that 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 kind of shame extends itself into college and post-college. You don't want to be, you know, the the odd man out. Uh, so it, it's but it's been the backbone of everything I've done. Even when I was trying to run, run away from it, it just I've always had a tether. It's so funny. I was talking to my mother last night, and she was like, "Yo, I've always just known you since you were a kid to be a very devoted person to God and that process in your own." spiritual practices, and I have been, you know what I mean? She's like, there's certain things I taught you, but there's certain things that you just gravitated to, and you just, it, it just, in a lack of, uh, Arundhati Roy talks about fiction dancing out of her. I mean, that's what my mom was essentially saying, you know, it just danced right out of me in, in, in its own way. Even when I tried to avoid it, it you know, I was, the, the rhythm and, and the beat was still going. Uh, and then your second question was learning it from a woman uh, being engaged with that a woman. Uh, that is interesting. Uh, my mom and I, to this day, have different spiritual views, even though we come from the same spiritual center. Uh, and it does lead to some kind of disagreement about, you know, how you raise your children, to how you, you know, you influence your home, or, you know, you influence a spouse in a marriage. And that, I think, has been some tensions there. Uh, in other ways, it's, it's been reassuring and reaffirming without my mother or my, my maternal grandmother, even my paternal grandmothers, both of them, um, both my father's grandmothers, uh, mothers, uh, you know, 
I probably would not have some of the depth in my spirituality as I have now. Uh, which begs some other questions of why, you know, maybe, you know, did I, you know, where was I in searching for a mate? How was that impacting me? Did I want the same thing that I was getting at home? Did I want something different? You know, it, that, it always kind of, something I'm still kind of thinking about, and I was having a conversation with her about it yesterday, you know, you know, kind of when you're raised a certain way, why do some people walk away from it and some people embrace it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people want the family business, but some people are like, nah, I don't want to do this. And it's like, but it's the best way to make money. I don't care. I'm going to go be a garbage person, you know? But we have this thriving fashion company, for example. Why do you want to go do that, you know? And some people just fall right into the fashion company and make, make their way and take that company forward. So it's, a, it's an interesting thing. So going back just a little. Yeah. What was it like growing up and working through the tension of dad's no longer here? Yeah. And now forming this bond and this relationship with your mother and you talked about how she allowed you to be a man like she reared you to be a man and mm -hmm. not her son but i'm curious about that that gap period mm -hmm. where you're grieving mm -hmm. the loss of your dad yeah yeah and yeah. how that relationship is not being supplemented yeah 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 uh so right, my father dies, and then it's my mom and I, and so my mom's working a lot. She's working to preserve the lifestyle, still got to keep me in Catholic school. And so it was the trust of, you know, I'm at the age now where I can stay home. You know, she may be working evenings to 11 o'clock. Am I out in the street? Are you home? When you get home, call me. Now, once you're home, I don't expect people to be coming over the house and I don't expect you to be hitting the street. You know, she would have these honest conversations with me like, yo, I'm doing my part to give you X. X could be a good education. Let's just put that in there. Uh, I need you to just keep doing the good education role and keep getting good grades and keep engaging with the people that I feel are trustworthy and engaging with, you know, the families that you grew up with, the families in our building, the friends that you've made whose mothers I trust and families I trust. I, I need you just to be hanging out with them and doing, doing that. I, I can't have you out in these streets. I can't, you know, if I'm doing this, then you're doing that. It was an understanding of the reality that we were in. She didn't paint any rosy pictures. Now, she also didn't burden me with, like, I don't know how we make these bills today, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You, know, you, you may have to have an air sandwich tonight because we ain't got money. It wasn't like that. I mean, she kept certain adult things to herself, but where she could share, she did share, and she was honest. She was honest. And preparing me for accountability, preparing me for a life of respect. How do I respect myself and how do I respect others? What does it look like if you want to mature as a man being accountable to the house or the community that you're involved in or you're, you know, you're, you're a part in? And that was an important part. And my, not having my dad there was interesting. I mean, you know, she didn't date, not to my knowledge. Um, she, I didn't see a bunch of boyfriends trafficking in the home. I didn't see her taking on callers. I, you know, you know I really... And at the time, I remember being younger, talking to a kid from my high school, right before uh, you know uh, my mom, my, my my father now got married, and he was like, "Oh, your yo, your mom's with somebody." I would never let because his father had died when he was eight. He was like, "I would never let my let my mom date someone else." I was like, "I never cared." Again, because we always had that honesty of like, "Yo, you're," you know, at the time my mom was forty nine, fifty when my, uh, my father passed away, 
And I wanted her to have another relationship. I wanted her to have another life. It was never like, this is my mama and you ain't no one coming to me. Like, yo, please, God, take her somewhere. Please, y'all, y'all enjoy. Go on that cruise. Go on that, that break. Like, because I just knew she was a woman. And that's another piece she revealed to me in that if I were to look at honesty and then kind of look at the layers of honesty, what was she was honest about was about being a woman. Yo, I'm a woman. And I've 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 had experiences. I've lived my life, and she didn't tell me everything as a twelve. But as I've gotten older, and we've become closer, she shared things with me, and like, yo, this is my life, and this is who I am. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm gonna think a guy's good looking. Yeah, I, I you know I I I want experiences. Yeah, I want to travel. She wasn't just mom. She was a woman. She was a person. She was a human being, and she needed to be respected as such. What did that do with? the perception that you had of her as mom, who's now peeling back the onion and saying, hey, son, mm-hmm. this is who I am. Mm-hmm. How did that help you in terms of how you viewed your mother? Uh, it was a very divine connection because I like honesty. So because I have an affinity for honesty and people sharing their stories, she's sharing, with me with my, she's sharing hers with mine. I had a different perspective of honoring the commitments that I had in the household, right? I think the first time that I, I, I messed up right after my father died, someone was like, yo, I'm gonna do this for your mother, please don't tell her. But they had ended up telling her anyway, and she was like, you know, oh, so-and-so told me something, but I can't tell you, and she was like, what do you mean? And then she told me what they told me, she's like, and she didn't bark at me, she's like, well, I told you, like, we can't hold secrets from each other. You just gotta be honest with me about what people are telling you, and you know, I'm gonna do the same for you where I can, that's appropriate as an adult. And um, I appreciated that. And her showing me herself as a human being, not just like a worker bee or someone cleans up after me uh, or something like that, uh, just really allowed me to see her pain. And seeing her pain made me want to be supportive or to honor my commitments and to be a part of her life in a way that was going to be constructive. You know, not jumping, dropping out of school and go working in the docks or doing something to support the family. I didn't have to do that, thank God. But it made me aware of who she was and that, you know, the things that I did and um, or didn't do affected her. There was an impact to my actions. It wasn't just going to be, you know, you come home, okay, I forgive you this time. Okay, like, nah, we're going to have a conversation up in here. Yo, dog, that was inappropriate. You know what I mean? Like, or, yo, I feel disrespected. Or I one time she came home, and I, I don't know if my, my, my stepfather remembers this. And like there were like two dishes left in the sink and ain't no one washed it. Yo, she came home. was like, ah, yo, y'all got, I've been working all day. Yo. And she, she shut down the house for about a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? You do Mission Impossible tactics to get to the kitchen. Ask her if she, okay, don't talk to me. You know, <clears throat> but you know, when she came out of it, she's like, yo, look, I'm working and I'm busting my behind and there's two dishes in the sink and y'all ain't going to do them. Like, come on, man. You know what I mean? And even to me, like, yo, you're not going to do these two dishes and I'm, I'm working these doubles and, and these triples or whatever I got to do to bring money in this household. And, yo, you can't, I mean, that impacts you as a young man about, you know, community. You know what I mean? Whether you with roommates in New York City or roommates in, you know, um, Washington State or wherever, you know, look, you're part of a community. And what are you doing to, sh- you know, hold your own, share your part, you know, share that load? Yeah. So, in essence, what I just heard you say is that the accountability piece those conversations about her humanity yeah, and her having these honest conversations mm-hmm. around, I'm working double, triple shifts yeah, some yeah, days, yeah. and I come home and there's dishes in the sink, helped you become empathetic and compassionate oh, yeah. 
around her role as a mother and the burden that she may have been carrying yeah. that you were kind of like um, in the dark on because at, you know, whatever age it was, yeah. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, you're like clueless, like <laughs> mom's a money tree. Like, yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. And now yeah, you're yeah, becoming yeah, yeah, cognizant yeah. and fully aware of the adult responsibilities and how this household actually works. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, And yeah. what I'm hearing is it was more of a partnership. Yeah. Like, here's my role. Yeah. Here's your role. I'm not asking you to go out and make money. All oh, yeah, I'm asking yeah, yeah. you to do is get good grades yeah. and keep those dishes out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How was your room? My room was all right. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, it, it, my mom never stressed. Like, I had my my mom's sister. She stressed the room with her kids. Like, my cousins. Like, my mom was never stressed. My room. It was not that bad, though, either. Uh, but, she, you know, she didn't really stress it that badly. You know, I was talking to my mom, I think, last Thursday. And for her... And I just said this to her, when I was young, I didn't understand. Her big thing was, grades were cool and she wanted you to do well in school, but for her, it was, I wanted you to be a man. So it was the type of man I was gonna be, a moral man. Am I the type of guy who could take a woman out and when she goes, yo, I wanna go home, I'm gonna take her home? Mm-hmm. Or when I'm, at the, I'm, at the, I'm, in her, I'm in her bedroom and she said, yo, you know what, I need you to leave. Am I the guy who's leaving? Go, right, I'm leaving or am I staying and push, pressing the issue? Right. Which is what we deal with now. We see that's a big thing right now in our society, that being surfaced. Um, she, that's, you know, who she wanted me to be. She wanted me to be a gentleman. She wanted me to be a man. And the way that she saw, you know, um, you know, you, con- me conducting myself. And I'm the type of guy who's going to, you know, go outside, lick my finger, take my wedding ring off, and go up in the bar across the street and act like I ain't married. Right. Or am I gonna hold myself accountable to what I committed to? Uh, committed to on my wedding day. Those were things that she was wrestling with, and that's she still wrestles with that to this day. Yeah, she wants me to make money and take care of my family and get you know. Uh, but for her, it's just like, yo, what kind of man are you being? You know, that's her main concern. So, with her being very deliberate yeah. about the type of man that you would become, uh-huh. my question to you is. What kind of man did you want to become, or did this happen unconsciously? And for you, then it began to yeah. move from the background to the foreground, because you know, as a teenager, it's just like yeah. ah, mom has these demands, or she makes yeah, these requests, yeah. blah 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 blah. And what does she know? She doesn't know what she's talking about. Oh, absolutely, that was there. Right. Some of it, yeah. yeah, that was there. Where it really hit me was in college. I mean, I went to you know a historically black college, but it was diverse. A lot of people don't know when you go to a historically black college, you see the diversity of the black experience. People from Trinidad, people from Canada, black people from all over the United States and the world converging together in one spot and having a great time or having a hard time. <laughs> Maybe a mixture of both. Um, and. You know, I saw that then. I'm like, yo, why was she raising like this? No one cares about this stuff, man. No one cares about this stuff, mom. Like, yo, I'm trying to get like a dope car. There's some bad women out here, you know, down here in Atlanta. Like, yo, come on, man. Like, I ain't like no one cares about this stuff, mom. Like, you didn't raise me to do the things that I want to do. You know what I mean? You know, how do I convince this woman to go on a date with me? That's what you should have been teaching me. Like, I don't really need you to talk about some, well, you know, when you get older, I don't care about that, mom. Like, no one, no one cares about that, you know? So I went through that a lot, a resentment level there. Resentment of like, yo, like, you didn't prepare me for the world. You prepared me for this ideal that you had about how I should be as a human being, but you didn't prepare me for 
like the, the the nuts and bolts of you know taking a woman out, you know, um, charming somebody, you know, being able to build with somebody. She did prepare me for sex though. She was very honest about sex from the very very beginning, and we can get into that in a little bit. But it, you know, it was it was always through the prism of her vision. Do you think it would have been different if there was male influence, male support to strike the balance? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, by this time, by college, of course, my, my, my second father's there, my, my dad's there, and he was there, but we were just building our relationship, you know? So that alone, with getting, our, getting my bearings with that new dynamic and him getting his bearings with his new dynamic, um, was and new family dynamics. It's not like you're gonna come in and boop, 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 boop. That's not the way things work. You have to let things grow organically. And by the time things were growing organically, I was already in college, and then I was coming to him a little bit more, and he was giving me advice and being like, yo, man, you're making this a bigger deal than what it is. But as far as going back to that foundational time when I was being programmed by her, yeah, there was no uh, probably male voice there, it w- especially when you go, you know, I hit puberty, my dad was dead. So you know, during that puberty time when it's, you know, flaring and you're getting pimples and you got hair in places, you don't have hair, your voice is changing, people are inviting you to parties, but your mom doesn't want you out. You know, some kids could, at 12 and 13 could be out to 12. My mom's like, yo, are you home by nine? Like, yo, come on, dog. <laughs> Ain't no one doing nothing at night to like 9.30 out here. And they, nah, well, you're going to be here. You're going to be here. And hell to pay if you ain't. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you're gonna have problems with me if you ain't, you know. So that brings us to a really important part of this dynamic mm-hmm. now. So mom meets who would become the new husband. Yeah, 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 yeah. How does that whole thing play out? Does she tell you that she's seeing somebody? Does she Yeah, you know, and does she introduce you? Mm-hmm. Like, what was that like? Because uh, my question inside of that question is, how? what were you thinking and how were you feeling? Did you see him as a threat competition? Yeah. No. Um, so my mom and my dad had known each other for years back when she used to go to a, uh, the church that we were going to. And they happened to bump in each other. They started talking. He came over. Then mama, like, you know, him dating. My mom had known his parents. So my third set of grandparents. So I got my father's parents, my mom's parents, and now a third set of grandparents. They were still alive at the time. And um, she had really trusted those parents. So my fa- my second father's parents. So I'll just break it up. My first father's name is Maurice. My second dad's name is Kevin. That way, because people are like, first father? Come on, man. How many fathers <laughs> you got, brother? Um, so yeah, Kevin's parents, uh, where my mom was very close with them. And she had known them back in the 70s, back when he was younger. And he's a little younger than my mother. And she had known them and, and trusted them. Like, I'll give you an example of what my mom respects. My grandfather... Kevin's father used to sometimes drop my mom off, and she was like, yo, he was the kind of man where if you needed a ride home in Harlem back to your place, he would ride, ride you home and wouldn't do no funny-dunny male stuff with you and locking the doors or hitting on you. Like, he was a respectable man. And the, the, I think the love she had for uh, 
Kevin's father, the same love she had for her father, like the same admiration, same respect, same manliness. And these dudes weren't like no two six foot five hulking over dudes. These are just dudes who took care of their families and were responsible for what they said they were going to do. And if they said they were going to do it, they're going to do it. Punto. The end of end of story. And so there was no real big competition. In fact, it was like family embrace, embracing and love. You know, um, my Kevin's parents. I'm gonna get a little choked up here. They embraced me like one of their own. Like, I came on board and um, treated me like one of their grandchildren. They had their own grandchildren. It was about like nine of them, like it was on our side. But um, treated me like one of their own. Treated me like one of their own and never made me feel like the stepson. Always made me feel welcome. And uh, I'll always be grateful for them for that. So, bless them, even though they ain't heaven, bless them now. You know, I don't know if there's blessings in heaven, but. You know, um, I always respected that. They never made me feel awkward or out of place. Just pure love, pure love. So there was there was no threat. I didn't have a threat. Plus, I was also getting ready to go to college. I was involved in like hip hop music. I had my own life. I was very involved in school, extracurricular activities. I was on. My, I was working my plan to go away to school. So, like, I just figured, well, if I'm going away, then mom now has somebody she can connect with and build life with. So that there was never any of that. Again. My mom and I have never had, this is my mama, this is like, yo, you know what I mean? Because of a lot of factors, I think, because I was close to Maurice originally. And then also, I think my mom and I's relationship always had, and some people may find this controversial, a pinch of adversity. Mm, elaborate. Um, I think on purpose or unconsciously, whatever it is, I'm still trying to figure that out. My mom and I have always had tension with each other in a healthy way where maybe I didn't see things always the way she did and vice versa, and it was a challenging relationship. It was the right, right amount of challenge. It wasn't challenged to disrespectful, like I've never raised my hand to my mother or anything like that. And also, she's never demeaned me where you, you just feel listless and, 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 and like you don't have any support. It was the right amount of challenge. It was the right amount of adversity in our relationship. So it wasn't like my son does does everything right. Like to this day, I'm 39. She's like, yo, if I came to him, I'm like, yo, I'm having an issue at work. And she's like, yo, well, what what were you doing? You know, how did you handle that situation? Well, I mean, you know, did you do this? Did you do that? Like, she's got to like, she's going to Sherlock Holmes that thing till she gets to, (laughs) you know what I mean? The core of the issue ain't just going to be like a, a pure acceptance of what I've done right. You know, and you know, you, you, you know, my son was right, and you got to get out of here. Like, you know, um, perfect example. I remember back in um, my grad program recently, I had a run in with somebody, and I was livid. I mean, I was going off on the phone to my mom, not to her, but about this situation. She was just like, yo, you got to realize people have had different lives than you. Some people have had more trauma, and you just have to learn how to navigate and be more patient. You know what I mean? She, Coming at it from a different perspective rather than just being, oh, yeah, I hear why you upset. Yo, this is what you got to do. Kick that door open. You know what I mean? Do the Charles Bronson death wish. And you know what I'm saying? Yo, let people know they're in the game line. For her, it was just like, yo, you know, I don't really think you're looking at it from a holistic perspective. You need to look at different places and different um, places people come from and why that, that event may have happened. So you talk about a pinch mm-hmm. of adversity. Mm-hmm. It could have been a cup full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dash. Yeah. Do you think that comes from gender and how you see the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so when I, for me, adversity is not a bad thing. 
Tension is not a bad thing, right? You know, your muscles grow when you're bodybuilding time under tension, T-U-T. I didn't realize that at the time because I wasn't in the bodybuilding and not until, you know, working out until I got older, my 30s. But looking back through that and seeing that there, that adversity really helped me um, build a rich interior life, a rich introspective life that would not have happened uh, if I was always being challenged and blaming everyone in the world, blaming always outside forces uh, for everything that happened to me, blaming other people, blaming this person, blaming the economy, blaming you know, this group of people, that group of people. Like It gets to a point where, yes, there, there are times where outside forces get in your way, but for her, it was just like, you're, you know, I think her thing, she's never articulated this, but from that dynamic it's it's you know you have to trust in God and trust in yourself and find your way of living out in her um, mind God's principles, and you got to push through. And how has that contributed to your development? Because the reoccurring theme has been this tension, mm-hmm. this accountability, yeah, this love, yeah, the tension, the accountability, yeah. this love, yeah, and it being tethered to honesty, yeah, yeah, just the thread that went through yeah, those reoccurring yeah, yeah, themes. Yeah, so you're asking me how's it, like, how's it changed as a man or? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, being who I am and being, having that type of relationship is hard. Because we live in, in, in polarizing times. You see that with identity politics. You see that with people picking sides online, Facebook, Instagram, TV, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, whatever. You know, it's a polarizing environment. It's hard to, at times, go inside and say, you know what, I'm the source of my problems. I'm not the source of maybe all my problems, but I see my role and where I need to improve hey, you know what, or to the honesty level, saying to yourself, you know what, I was wrong, I need to apologize. I was wrong, <clears throat> I, I wasn't thinking right when I said that, you know, I need to be accountable, here, let me make you know, restitution. And what that's done is it's allowed me to have a, a thriving relationship at work, in my personal relationships, even with my wife, um, with my parents. You know, I just left my one job, I'm in the middle of transitioning to a new job, and I had to sit there as I was leaving and say, a lot of the success I had there was because I knew how to be led in relationships and, not, and also be a leader in relationships. I mean, Chris Rock, right, said you're the band leader sometimes, you, you know, you're playing the tambourine. And I've learned that through my relationship with my mother, and it's made me invaluable. I mean, as Seth Godin talks about being a linchpin, the book Lynchpin, I became that linchpin because I understood that role and understood those roles because of my relationship with my mother and what, what, we, what I learned from her and learn through our dynamics. So again, some of these things aren't coming direct, like, okay, let's open up the book number two. It's coming through the dynamic that we have, where it's like, nah, you're not getting away with this. Like, I don't care, this is what it is. Is I learned how to have a rich interior life, which then helped me to have a better life with others, because I look at it as your pain is a bridge that you that can lead you to understand someone else's pain, to encounter someone else's pain. And so building empathy, building respect for others, learning when to be quiet, learning when to be outspoken. Um, and those are things I still wrestle with, but you know, I've learned how to navigate um, some of the, as, as my friend Rick Holyfield would say, the halls of privilege 
or the holes of success because of me knowing how to work with people. And that came from our relationship. She, she's very adamant about that. Again, how, her thing is how am I treating people? How am I treating the people around me? And that, those things of accountability, tension, that cycle you mentioned, honesty, that's all because of that. So what I'm hearing is the level of honesty that started at home mm -hmm. became the lens through which you looked at the world. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The accountability that started at home mm -hmm. became the filter that you began to push your experiences. Oh, through. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the love that you've experienced becomes, you know, the funnel mm -hmm. that goes out from you to other people. Yeah, absolutely. And the experiences that were occurring in the household mm -hmm. became the microcosm and the training ground for how you interacted with people outside of the home. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you summed it up best. That That's exactly it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the reason I, I underscore this is because, you know, I've worked with tons of mothers. I've mm -hmm. worked with I don't know how many sons and young men. And there have been occasions where I see the smother mother, the helicopter mom who mm -hmm. comes in and rescues him not recognizing that that tension in their relationship mm -hmm. is essential to his growth. Yeah. And learning how to manage that tension. Like, mom can be 100% wrong on this one, but you got to eat it. Yeah, like yeah. It, that's part of your development. Yeah, 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 because yeah, yeah, Because yeah. as we grow as men, we're not going to get our way all of the time. No, 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 you're not. You know, and, you know, your mom deciding that I wanted him to be this type of man. Oh, yeah, Absolutely was important because oh, yeah. think about this back in the 80s you know to have the foresight and the vision to say he needs to be an ideal gentleman mm -hmm. rescues you from the me too movement yeah 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 right? yeah, yeah absolutely yeah right? yeah yeah in yeah, terms yeah, yeah. of the type of character you have and understanding the interactions that you're going to have with women like you're not going to have this inappropriate dynamic yeah right? yeah so yeah but that was because she was intentional and Consciously or unconscious for you, you became the gentleman who's yeah. like, hey, okay, hey, I respect your wishes, no problem. Mm, 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 mm. I just wanted, and it's important that moms are able to hear. Yeah, 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 that yeah, yeah. How yeah. important that is in who a young man evolves into as a man. Yeah. You know, so I'm really grateful. Yeah. That you're able to share that story and the nuances, all of the nuances of the story. So, back to Kevin. Yeah. How has your relationship with him evolved? Sure. And you refer to him as, you know, your second father. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I'm going to comment on that, but you just brought up something and you brought up the Me Too movement. So, I, I thought, you know, this has been important for me and I've thought about that and I'll top right into Kevin, which is my, when, the, when you started to see this crescendo news and reports from Harvey Weinstein, Cosby, and others, Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to Supreme Court. My mom has always been very honest with me. So she knows a lot of my stories, and I know a lot of hers. Uh -oh. So that doesn't mean that every mom has to be as candid as we are with each other. Correct. But I will say this. Knowing that my mother has gone through similar things to what you see in the media about being harassed or the other things going on with like you know discrimination you know she would tell me at her job you know people say they don't want a black nurse all that stuff it's made me again more empathetic so that 
it's not an immediate like, ah, oh, man. You know, the, you know I, I notice that sometimes you talk to certain men in their own private circles. It's just like, yo, another thing, another thing. Whereas me, I'm like, well, nah, man. Like, yo, homie, this is happening. People are getting harassed. Uh, we live in a culture that's not perfect. We live in a culture at times that can be toxic. It's not hard for me to make these connections because her stories are there. And it built up an understanding of listening to other people's stories, especially other women's stories. So I was able to get those, build that connection. So when Me Too came, I'm not saying that every single thing that I've done is right and envision of what she wants. I'm not saying I've done anything horrible either. The, the point I'm making is about connecting and not dismissing. I think a lot of times people hear things that are outside of their intellectual reality or experience and they reject it. Oh, well, I've never had a police officer pull me over, so why does that matter? As opposed to, yo, you know what? I heard this story from my friend. I heard this story from so-and-so. You know, we still need to investigate this incident, but yo, let's listen. Let's listen to the stories. She's giving me that perspective, and that's a perspective I brought into my home, I try to cultivate in my home, and again, imperfectly, because I, I make mistakes too, and even in my job, and that's where I think, what I said before about my work, I've been successful at work because that's been the perspective of whether it's about getting things done um, for business development in my previous job, listening to a coworker, or trying to figure out a, uh, some kind of political situation at work. That relationship of listening to stories and listening to my mom's stories allows me then to function as a problem solver, a more astute problem solver, because I'm listening to stories first, not just casting judgments and, 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 and critiquing immediately. I'm waiting for the critique to be fueled by listening to others first. And that's, that's, that's the point I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make. And I underscored and intentionally brought up the Me Too movement because you and I have known each other for quite yeah, yeah. a while. And you've always been a champion and an advocate for women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And listening to you over the years, now this gives me context. And yeah. it gives me a greater and a deeper understanding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and you have helped me to be very mindful and intentional about listening to you know, the narrative and the stories mm -hmm. that come from women. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I've never been against them. Yeah, I know. But I just want mothers to understand that there are men out here who understand uh -huh. the things that you're experiencing, that uh -huh. there are men who are champions and advocates for mothers and women. Mm -hmm. um, and that comes from their stories being shared. Now, obviously, we can't share our stories with anyone and everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. But to be mindful to build community and have spaces where they can actually share their stories mm -hmm. um, so that no one feels like they're in isolation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is really critical and key. Um, so back to Kevin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, with my, my with Kevin, it's been a great relationship. Uh, he's been patient. He's been loving. He's been supportive. He came in immediately and just... You know, put everything he had on the line for my mother and I. Um, you know, I've never heard him say, you know, talk about the money he's put in. I've never heard him talk about or criticize, you know, what he sacrificed. And he has sacrificed since coming on board to help me mature, to pick up the mantle where my dad left off, where my mom was at, and with my aunts and everyone else who my, my community who was a part of my development. He picked up the mantle and he picked up the torch and, and he's never complained. He's never... Um, you know, he's treating me, you know, in my opinion, like a good father, you know. 
Uh, and so I'm appreciative of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I ended up in the ideal situation. I really did. You know, when people talk about being rich, like for me, I've had great family experiences and I got two fathers, a mother. Like, yo, I've, I've had great wealthy experiences, not in the sense of, you know, bank account bottom line, you know, experiences, but experiences in people, richness in community. And he's definitely been a part of that. Hmm. I wouldn't be the man I am today um, without him and his voice and his challenge. Yeah, he, he, you know, him and my mom work together and they'll challenge me. They were just challenging me on Thursday uh, about some things that, you know, some decisions I had made and we were going back and forth about it. Uh, not disrespectfully, but like in a way that like, yo, you know, um, they disagree. And they'll tell me, yo, we disagree with this. And, you know, I'm like, well, you know, for me, this is what I needed to do at the time and this is just who I needed to be in that moment. And, you know, it is what it is. You know, and they still love me before they love me after that, but they're going to be honest, like, yo, we disagree. That's not a good decision. You're making a bad decision. Yo, it is what it is. And do they support you despite the decision that you made? Mm -hmm. They love me. Um, I think for my parents, they're very old school black parents. So support meaning they love me, but they're not going to indulge me. So I have this ongoing joke I have with my coworkers, and I, I, um, I worked in an organization that was about 70% women, and so I had a lot of uh, women coworkers, and you know, we'd crack jokes uh, during lunchtime. But I always said if I left Grace, you know, I'd come home to my parents and be like, look man, yo, I had to leave, you know, can I stay here? My parents were like, nah, <laughs> you can't stay here. Like, yo, you got to do for yourself. You made that decision, you got to do that on your own. Like, Yo, you're a grown man, dog. You can't be up in here. I got my golf clubs. I got the piano here. And he's, he, you know, we really ain't got no space for you, but even the space that we could give you is occupied with our stuff. So you will have to work that out. You're going to have to work that out. You know, I mean, I'm sure in an extreme case where something extreme happened, they'd be like, all right, reluctantly. Uh, but that's, just, again, them being like, yo, you know, we're not going to baby you. We're going to support you and love you, even if that means financial support, whatever, but we're not going to baby you. If you made a decision that we feel is not right and hurtful to your family, like, you're going to be loved, but yo, dude, this is the consequence. I don't have to partake in that to show you that I loved you. If everything I've done for the first, you know, previous 39 years ain't enough, then you got a deeper understanding. You have to have a deeper understanding of what love is because I'm not going to tolerate what I think is bad behavior. That's just how they are. You know, some parents are different. Some parents are, you know, you could always come home. My parents are like, nah, man, like, you have to make some good decisions. You have to let me learn to make some good decisions on your own. To each his own. Pros and cons on both sides. And how has that affected how you make decisions or influenced how you make decisions as a man? Uh, I'm a thinker. And so I also overthink, but I think. Uh, I also understand there's constraints in life, and constraints aren't a bad thing. Constraints are a good thing. And, and so thinker, understanding constraints, and then third, willing to work it out, whatever it is. Work it out if it's an issue with my wife, work it out if it's an issue with my friends, work it out if it's an issue at work. You have to keep showing up, and you have to find a way to work it out. Do you get to a point where you can't, then you have to make a different decision. That's up to you. At what point you pull that trigger. But it's not enough to simply show up, get upset at everybody, get angry, and then go want to go home. And then, you know, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do those people piss me off over there. They don't even know who I am, who they talking to and all that business. And you can have that chatter with your friends in their opinion. You can have that chatter in your mind. You can bring that to the Lord in their opinion. 
But once you start at making decisions out of that space and not considering, yo, you got a family to feed, you got a three-year-old son, you got bills to pay. So who's supposed to be paying your bills now? Me? Because you got upset? Nah, nah, nah. Like, you're going to have to eat this one and suffer. So I know that. So then I think differently and I, I have to learn to push through my emotional baggage to make a better decision. I, I have to think through what's an emotional decision. And you're entitled to emotional decisions at times. I, I don't just, but if you're always making decisions driven by you know, extreme emotions in you, then what kind of life are you putting together? You know, if you never have considerable thought, prayerful thought behind your actions. So I just know they're not, there's certain things you're just not gonna do. You know, like, and I give this example, and this is not to judge me, but I just know, like, if I had just what, just walked in one day and said I wanted to leave my wife and leave my family, no discernible reason, no real reason that made sense to them. Again, I'm coming from their perspective, not coming from anyone's perspective who may be listening to this. I just, again, I just couldn't knock on the door, like, yo, I wanna stay here now. They're like, nah, man, you just left, you left your responsibility? Nah, you can't come in here with that. Nah, nah, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Did she wield the axe at you? No. Did she, was she chasing you with a knife around the house? No. Then you, then you know what? You either go back home and find another thing because you ain't coming up in here. Like, well, I'm not going to just co-sign what you did. That's problematic behavior to me, and that's the end of it. Like, you don't like it? Then you don't want to talk to me? Then don't talk to me. I'll talk to you in two or three years when you get over it. But I'm not going to get over it. <laughs> you know, my, my family's the kind of people, they be, we'd be dead in heaven for all of eternity for a million years. And they'll be like, you remember that you did that, you know, a million, 30 years ago? Yeah, that was stupid then. It's stupid now in heaven. So what I... <laughs> <laughs> Still stupid. It'll be stupid a million years from now, too. Amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what I heard is these tensions that you've had to grow through mm -hmm. built emotional dexterity, yeah. emotional um, perseverance, yeah. which is huge in the world of men. Mm -hmm. Because as a man, and you've seen plenty of them yourself, the guys who have these meltdowns because they've never had to work through mm -hmm. uncomfortable situations. Yeah. They've never yeah, had yeah, to yeah, work yeah. through the tension, the argument that they had with their mother at 16, she capitulated and she gave him his way and it set him on this path. Yeah of thinking that when I throw a tantrum, someone is going to convert to my philosophy. Yeah, 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 and yeah. things yeah. are gonna go my way. And these are some of the guys that we've seen who can't stay in relationships, the guys who lose their jobs. And these are the guys where, in some cases, not clearly not all, where it's everyone's fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, yeah, no yeah. sense of emotional responsibility in any of the relationships yeah. that they're in. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, so, I just wanted to really highlight that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll give you an example of that. Um, my mom's mother had passed away, and my mother had asked my wife, look, do you mind if Will comes and stays with, um, over at the house in Long Island, that's where my grandmother was living, and help me with some things? My wife was like, that's cool, because my mom, again, that's my mother. I'm her son, but she gonna ask now my wife for permission because she's just like, yo, I'm not gonna take you out the home. Like, I, yeah, she asked me, but for her, it was at the time like, Yo, I just can't tell you. You know, I don't know if you and your wife have plans or she has plans for you, whatever. And so that's just an example. She had she she went to my wife, even though I'm her son, just to make sure everything was cool because she's not trying to be disruptive to our home. And my wife and I got in an argument, and uh, so I got out. So we took a bus back from Long Island. I remember I got out, and I was like, we were like, all right, you know, thank you so much for coming. And I was like, yo, man, I ain't going home. I'm pissed off. 
And my parents were like, why? And I was just like, yo, man, she's just pissing me off right now. You know, I don't really appreciate it. My mom was like, you can't do that. I asked her if you could come here. You got to go home. I was like, I ain't going. And my father was like, yo, at the end of the day, you don't want to go home because she won't acquiesce to your request. Whatever you want her to do, she ain't doing that. All of a sudden, you upset about it. He's like, yo, I went to Long Island with your mother for eight years straight every other weekend. You think I wanted to go? But we had to go take care of your grandmother. Don't talk to me about no... So, you know, all I did was just swallow sadness and raise my hand and get the cab. This is pre-Uber, guys. <laughs> Stuck my hand out, and they pulled over for a black man, thank God, on 86th Street and 3rd Avenue. Got my black behind the car and went home. But that's just an example of my parents. Like, they just, we, we gonna come at you. We, we, gonna, we gonna hash this out. This yeah. ain't gonna be cosign. Oh, you know, you know, some parents like, yo, you don't go home, you ain't gonna go home. You know, I'll talk, talk to, let, let me know when you do get home. Like, I was, that's not how they get down. Right. And that just reinforces that tension that you're required to live in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So as we get near the end, mm -hmm. question I have is what is the one thing growing up that your mother did? You're just like, you like the one thing that you look back today at and you're just like, if she could have done this differently, oh. not to suggest or imply that your life would be different. No, no, no. But just something that may have been like a slight interruption or disruption in your development or emotionally or otherwise. I think my mom, even as dedicated as she was to her vision, at times got caught in you know what was going on as far as raising healthy children in New York City, the beginning of the competitive school environment, getting your kid into Harvard, fast-tracking them into these schools. And at times, I think she, she, she fell into that and created competition in ways within me to achieve certain things that I think at the time didn't make sense for me. And I think, she, you know, that's natural. I mean, everyone, right, even though they have a vision at times, gets off it or falls on, you know, falls down on it. And um, there was tensions there for me around sometimes wanting me to, you know, play, I used to play piano, play piano at a certain level um, to, you know, get certain, sometimes, even though she wasn't a great person at times, to get certain types of grades. And that was a tension. I think another thing, now, that was at the time. That's what I could say if I was went to eight-year-old Will, that's what I can articulate now. Looking back as 39-year-old Will, uh, there was definitely now, I think my mother, and this is the crazy thing. People think if I'm describing her, they would come in and you would get this kind of sassy talking, maybe black woman or whatever, that, you know, stereotypical what Hollywood presents as, you know, um, the bolsterous black woman. My mom's not like that. If you work with her, she's a meek co-worker. You know her. She's very meek to herself. But yo, when it came to me, to her, I was that one shot. And she had to put everything into it. And so, you know, I think for her, what did happen, I did see is, and I did take on it sometimes, is kind of her non-confrontational way. And I had to learn how to break that as an adult. You know, because she's not very confrontational. Again, with me, yes. In general, no. If you were working with her or you in a relationship with her, she's very non-confrontational. I think now she's come out of her, her shell a lot. But um, I had adopted that, and that doesn't work for a man. And that doesn't work for anybody. A man, woman, he, she, they. I don't care what your pronouns are. That doesn't work for anyone who wants to achieve success. You have to have confidence in yourself and what you're doing, even if the chips look like they're down and... Uh, you know, you're going to have to reset, realign your plan. Realign your plan, that's fine. Mistakes happen. You know, uh, things that were unseen now are seen. You have to pivot, but still have confidence you can get to the, where you got to go. And I think that was a tension there that looking back, an issue there that looking back, I wish I had more of understanding that part of myself, understanding that need or that skill.
that's that's something my mom, you know, didn't have. Yeah, in my opinion, she may get him like confidence, my mom, you know, on, here, on the radio show. Talking, but, <laughs> um, but no, I mean that, that, that's you know that's my interpretation, that's my perception. Yeah. And how have you, as thirty-nine-year-old Will, yeah, began to develop or develop that skill set of confidence? Oh yeah, um, being able to skillfully confront those things that need to be confronted and being able to distinguish between the ones that I need to confront versus the one I, I need to let go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shutting up. Um, uh, uh, shutting up. Uh, we, all, we all need to learn to shut up at times. Um, so one is reading. So I read a lot of books. I remember I had a confrontation with a dude. I used to um, work with my homeboy in the startup, and I had to con- confront a dude, and I didn't know how to do it. So the first book I read was Crucial Confrontations. It's written by a bunch of authors out of Stanford, psychologists. And that just started my journey, and that's around 2006, 2007, and I've read books. I've talked to you. You know, you've been a, a, a beacon of light and helped me, my confidence, my cousin Jamal. Uh, men who, I place myself around men who are confident. Like, yo, look, this is who I am. This is what I am. My homeboy Ashley, you know, my, my homeboy Ash and I were talking uh, back in January. I was going through something, and he was just like, yo, you know, one of the things he had noted, again, I'm, I put myself around people who critique me. So he, he was critiquing me. He said, you know, what I see from you is you want to bully life. You only want to fight when you know you're going to win. He's like, yo, to get through in life, you got to fight even when you don't think you're going to win. You are who you are no matter who you are and no matter what situation you're in. And sometimes you're going you're gonna to eat the pavement and sometimes you're going to make someone else eat the pavement. But at the end of the day, you are who you are. And that's where the confidence really comes from. And I may have a couple of L's in my column, you know, a couple of... You know, numbers in my L column, and I may have a couple of numbers in my win column, but yo, you ain't just gonna come in here and roughshod me and come at who I am, the core of who I am, and I'm not just gonna let you do that without some kind of confrontation or, in some cases, and I'd say minor retaliation. And that's masculinity for me. That's what it's like to be a man. Um, you know, I'm sure it is for anyone. Like I said, confidence I've seen to be a baseline for anything you do in life, any of the books you read now, any of the success literature, self-development books, even some of the Christian books. I mean, people talk about having confidence in Christ for those who come from that Christian Norman, you know, place. Others may come from a different place. Uh, confidence is critical, so I had to get it on my own. That's something that she couldn't give me. She didn't have it to give it to me, in my opinion. She didn't have it to give it to me. How could she give it to me? In so many different levels as a man, she's not me. So it's one of the journeys I had to take on my own. And I'm grateful for it. And of course, you always say, oh, it's nice to have it back then. But yo, to be honest with you, man, this, where I grew up in New York City and how I grew up in New York City, uh, it probably might have suited me not to have that. Uh, I might have made some different decisions. I would have been maybe more reckless. Uh, now I know how to be confident and keep it in due bounds with where I want to go and with other people. I think sometimes people who are too confident end up being reckless and hurting others, and people become collateral damage in their attempt to achieve their vision. So, but it's something I did have to get on my own, yeah, and I just worked at it. Read books, listened to podcasts, uh, did some other things as well, but yeah, yeah, really, really t- continue to work on it. Practice, took, took L's, you know, um, I just, uh, started martial arts this year just because of that, um, to learn about, like, yo... You know, for example, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, getting tapped out and then having to reset and go right back into the position and struggle again. That's an important part of life. Mm. That's an important part of a success at your job 
at your house of worship, wherever you're at, you're going to get tapped out. That's okay. You didn't lose. You just took, you, you failed. Now get back in the reset and go back for your vision and go through that eight or nine, ten times until you start and with coaching and with critique and with feedback. Someone's going to show, you know what you're doing wrong here? You're doing this. You're, you're moving your hips. I'm talking about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu now when you should be moving your arm and your hips like this. And then eventually that move becomes something that you're able to master and you go on to the next struggle and to the next struggle. But after 10, 15, 20, 100 struggles, you've become proficient in dealing with certain situations with a, a sense of enthusiasm and know-how that another person may ha doesn't have and you're able to push forward and get that much closer to your vision. So, yeah, yeah. So you brought something to the table that was really important. You talked about how deliberate you've been around being around men who you are able to extract attributes or characteristics that you want in your life. Mm. You're, you surround yourself with men and people who are going to tell you the truth and mm. being able to oh, yeah, yeah. have <laughs> honest conversation. Yeah. And I think for the listeners, this is important because yeah. you're being intentional and deliberate about mm. doing that now at 39, mm. where a mom who has a 16-year-old son has the opportunity to put him in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, yeah. to put him in you know, um, basketball or yeah, sports, yeah, 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 to put yeah, him in yeah. the chess club, to put yeah. him in fencing yeah. or rugby or archery. These are my yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Archery's dope, though. Archery's dope. Um, but the point being is to get him around other young men and men earlier yeah. so that he can begin to imbibe these characteristics and traits. Oh, yeah. And engaging him, you know, afterwards in conversations around what he's learning, what he's picking up, yeah. you know, can be very helpful yeah. and beneficial in the long run. Yeah. Um, and then it gives him a certain level of comfort and confidence about himself as a younger man as he's evolving yeah. into a more mature man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll say something, and I'm going to say it with my best grammar in English. Ain't nothing like the critique. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you've been a good critique for me. Dennis has been, for those who are listening. Uh, I have, you know, my best friend Mike. I have Ash. I have my cousin Jamal. I have so many people around me, my boy Eric, who would be like, yo, son, didn't you say you wanted to do this? Then why are you doing You know, you wanted to go towards X. Why are you over here on Y? And they'll be like, yo, that doesn't make sense. Two plus two doesn't equal 16, it equals four. And right now, your math is looking very funny. And yo, dog, you, you're, not, you're not reaching your goals. You're not going to reach your goals. And you need that. And yo, there's times where Dennis could say something or one of my homeboys I mentioned could say something. And, uh, you know, I think my, my aunt's good, or good for critiquing me as well. Uh, and you know you don't want to hear it, and I don't disrespect. I but I always listen. I tell you that I always listen, and then I think about it, and then I come back and I'll say, "Yo, you Dennis, you were right." And to me, that has paid off dividends. Like I've grown and avoided bad situations because I've listened and taken critique. I've stumbled into ideal situations because I've, you know, taken critique. So I mean, to me, there ain't nothing like the critique. And but that's something my mom brought into my life. Like I said on Thursday, we were going back and forth. She was like, you know, about something. And it was a back and forth. I did not heed it, but just like, yo, I, this is just who I am. Well, I don't know. This is, and here's my critique on that. And, uh, you know, uh, not most times when I'm with them, it doesn't go by without critique. And sometimes I'm like, yo, I ain't trying to listen to it. You know, I'll have to like, I'll get off the phone. I don't disrespect, but I get off the phone or I tune out. But there's a lot of times where I'm tuning in and I do it. I'm like, oh, snap, they were right. Oh, this worked out for me. Yeah. 
So the benefit of community of someone knowing you and knowing what yo your weaknesses are because you have weaknesses and knowing what your positives are because you do have positives and helping you address your weaknesses and build upon your strengths. That is the only way I think you're going to be successful in life. And I'm, I'm grateful for all my friends because of it. Okay, as we wrap up, this is the last question I have yeah. for you. The one thing, if you can only choose one thing that your mother did from birth to 39 that is that linchpin, that one thing that sticks that you were just so grateful for, what would it be? Her honesty. Mm. Her honesty. Hands down. Hands down. Her honesty. Accountability was there, but her honesty. I think the accountability is tied to the honesty. It all flows from her honesty, sharing her stories like we talked about in the context of the Me Too movement, uh, her honesty about what she sees as my strengths and my weaknesses. Um, and sometimes it's hurtful to hear, but yo, I appreciated it, and I appreciate it now. Um, the honesty that's allowed tension, the honesty that's allowed that tension that leads to growth, the honesty about what she's struggling with, you know, who she sees herself as a, a human being, the honesty she's come back to me and talked about the mistakes she made. You know, either with me or previous relationships, things that she made mistakes with and being like, yo, yo, I really messed up there. I wasn't listening. And you know, your grandparents tried to tell me and I just thought they were crazy and stupid. So I just did what I wanted to do and I paid for it. You know, yo, all that just really opened my eyes and allowed me to have a better map for moving forward around similar issues. Where she fell into the pit, I was able to avoid it. I, I honestly don't think I'd be anywhere without her honesty. Again, that's not a challenge to anyone. You got to tell your kids your past. And, you know, when you was 15, you was up in the movie theater doing this. Or you were always here ice skating. I'm not, you don't have to get into that kind of granular detail. If that, if that doesn't suit you, that doesn't suit your relationship. But, yo, honestly, man, no pun intended. Honestly, just being honest, just her honesty and her commitment to that changed and made me a better man. I... Even to this day, it, I, 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 I am still growing from that. Again, I'm not perfect. And that's anyone on the phone, like, when we brought up the Me Too thing. They're not on the phone. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, they may be on their yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm um, sorry. Uh, uh, on the podcast, again, that my P's mixed up. Um, you know, we mentioned the Me Too movement and and my mom's driving me to be a gentleman and striving to do that. And and we also mentioned her raising me to be a gentleman, not just giving me to, I'm just going through different scenarios. Uh, it's, you know, raising me to be a certain way in my marriage. All of those places I can, I, can, I can spot imperfections. All those places I can, I can spot better ways I could have acted. All those places I can spot better ways of thinking. I should have listened more before critiquing. I should have you know, dealt with my emotions better than lashing out or, I didn't really lash out, but even um, tuning people out when I should have been listening more. That's always going to be there. The mar you have, everyone has a margin of error. That's allowed. It's when people pull back the curtain and look at a pattern in your life, what do they see? They're going to see the skips and the dips. They're going to see all that. That's part of life. Jordan had bad days. Every, Tom Brady had bad years. And, but if you look at Tom Brady's career, you're going to be like, all right, well, no, no denying who he really is. You know, or Serena Williams' career. Uh, you know, she's had bad, bad years, but when you look at the pattern of her life, you're like, oh, wow, she, yo, one of the greatest athletes out here today. It's the same thing, I think, with looking back at your record. It's okay to have a margin of error, but what's the pattern that's there? What is the pattern? Do people see a commitment to honesty and responsibility? Uh, or do they, like I was just saying, my mom, there's some things I have an issue with, but overall, I'd give, you know, I have, I always say I have one of the greatest mothers that, that's ever lived. 
uh, because the pattern there has been that loving consistency around honesty and giving me what I need to grow as a man. And with that, we thank you, Will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Will. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. That brings this episode to a close. On your journey of parenting, I want to leave you with the words of Jill Churchill. There's no way to be a perfect mother, but a million ways to be a good one. I hope you've been encouraged and inspired. And on behalf of your sons, thank you. <laughs>